invite you to find your way back to your seat. Such a good time lingering in God's presence. Come on. So good. I don't know if you heard, but uh, we started a preschool here on Monday. Come on. Kids conquering fears. Started on the little slide, ended up on the big slide by Friday. Come on. We were joking in circle time because they do nap time. I think the staff has a responsibility to come teach those children how to nap during the day. I don't know about you. Feeling the word of the Lord over that. Train up a child in the way that they should go. That's what the Bible says. I'm just saying. Hey, we do, in case you didn't know, started a preschool here, two and a half to five-year-olds. If you've got a child in that age group and you're not sure what they're going to do this summer, uh, this is a place for you. We're open from 6 a.m. until 6 p.m. Uh, our curriculum is really going to kick in in September, but we're open all through the summer. And there's also a before and after school program that's been happening here on this property for 20 years, uh, serving the elementary school. Uh, yeah, come on. There you go. Chris giving us a little love. So that's a full-time program in the summer for elementary school-aged uh, children. And uh, it's, yeah, it's, this is, this is going to be an epic year for us, uh, not just with the gifting of this building, but the ministries that are going to be birthed because of this resource that has been uh, entrusted to us. So, hey, one more thing before we get into, uh, into tonight's message is also, uh, we, have, you know, we have a campus in Suffolk. Uh, they are about three and a half years uh, in the making, and they're doing some heavy lifting over there. It's, they're doing an amazing work. They've doubled in size uh, in the three and a half years since we planted them. And, uh, and so we've just decided as, for this campus that we just want to come along uh, beside them for the rest of this year. Uh, and so we've got a sign-up up here. Uh, we're hoping that one family uh, every weekend will show up at the Suffolk campus to serve in some capacity. Uh, we, were, we were talking about in our last leaders meeting here for both campuses that when, when this church planted 13 years ago, we were talking about what would it have been like to have had another church reach out to us and say, hey, how could we help? And so even though they've doubled in size, as you know, when people are new to the church, they might not be invested yet. You with me? And, uh, and so what we're saying is we're gonna, we want to send one family uh, every weekend uh, for the rest of this year. So there's a sign up. So I hope if that stirs your heart, then uh, if you've not been yet to the Suffolk campus, this is your opportunity. This is your opportunity to go and check out uh, what's going on over there. So we've got that sign up right there uh, where Vanessa and, uh, and I sit. So, well, this is one of what we call our welcome weekends. We just kind of drop these throughout the year because it's an opportunity for us to just kind of pause whatever series that we're in, uh, whatever teaching series that we might be doing, uh, and just talk a little bit about who we are as a church. There are visitors that are coming every single Saturday, uh, and this gives us just an opportunity to talk a little bit about who this church is, what God has called us to do, and, uh, and what we're about. And so if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4. Somebody say finding. We're going to look at three uh, encounters that Peter has with Jesus. In the first one I'm calling Jesus finding Peter. Jesus finding Peter. And what we're going to find is we look into these accounts, we look into the stories, is that we realize the Bible isn't just instructive for the individual. The Bible is instructive for the church collectively. 
The Bible isn't just wisdom for how I'm supposed to live my life personally. The Bible is also instruction for how the church is supposed to operate collectively as a community of faith. And so the first one here, Jesus finding Peter. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. It says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew. Now throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come and follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. They left their nets, and at once they followed him. And a little farther up the shore, he saw Two more brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them and said, come too. And they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. This story gives us something important here at City Life Church, and is that we are a place where people discover the idea that Jesus is looking for them. This church is a place where people discover the idea that Jesus is is looking for them. I had dinner. I got his permission to share a little bit. I'm not going to share his name to respect his privacy, but I had dinner this week with a young uh, guy who's here on his, his, uh, his first assignment in the Navy, uh, Jesse's Taqueria on Shore Drive. Anybody ever been there? Praise the name. Delicious food. You're going to feel like you've gotten on the plane to the Dominican Republic on this mission trip when you walk into Jesse's Taqueria. So anyways, that's one of my favorite spots down uh, on the other side of the water. And so we were hanging out, having dinner. And, uh, and, and, and so we're talking about the church because he's, he's been a few times. And he, and he says, this is what he says. He says, Fred, I've never been in a church before that talks about Jesus like you all do. And then he said, he said, I've never been in a church before where I felt like God was inside of me. It's powerful, isn't it? So then, then he says, so just the other day, as I was riding in my truck by myself, I told God that I wanted to live for him, and I gave my life to Christ. I mean, come on, right? So now I really like Jesse's Taqueria, because right? not only is the food good, but then lives are being changed. And so, so, we, so then we started talking about next steps. He's got the Praxis booklet. He's reading that. If you don't know what that is, ask somebody in the blue shirt. Blue shirt that's free for you. Uh, and, and, and then we started talking about next step is, is water baptism. Uh, and so the next time we do water baptisms here, I'm trusting that he's going to be in there. And then maybe when he gets up there that he'll be able to say, hey, I'm the guy from Jesse's Taqueria. So you can be praying for that young man, right? That God's going to keep inspiring his heart. But, but, but that's an important part of who we are here, right? By just the few services that, he, that he's been here, there's, there's, there's something in him that he was awakened to the idea that Jesus is real, that, that he's alive, and that, that he was looking for him. I love this story that we just read because Jesus wasn't sitting in some building somewhere in Israel waiting for people to come to him. He was out in the world looking for people. This is what Jesus does for us. Did we find Jesus in that story or throughout all the stories of Scripture? Do we find him in what was a church then called a synagogue? Yes, we do. Do we find him showing up at the Pentecostal potlucks of his day and time, right? The festivals? Sure. We, yes, we find him in all of those things. Do we find him participating in the religious traditions of his day? Yes. Yes, we do. 
And people found him there. But you know what Jesus also did? Is that he went out into the world where people were living to look for them because Jesus is always looking for people that need to be found. As you look around this room, you know what you see? You see a lot of people with a lot of stories of being found by Christ. I was found by him when I was 23 years old. Many of you have a story just like that. And if you don't have a story of Jesus finding you, then guess what? He's looking for you. And maybe you're going to be found by him tonight. I was praying about this message, and, and, and as I was thinking about this point of Jesus finding us, it, it took me back into my, into my late 20s, and, and after I had made a vow of devotion to Christ, the church that I was attending at that time had a missions trip to New York City, and we were going to the New York School of Urban Ministry, and we, we, we spent a week up there doing uh, inner city ministry, going out in the middle of the night and, and, and uh, caring for the homeless and working in soup kitchens and, and going into the projects and, and, uh, and doing like little vacations. Day, a day-long vacation Bible school for the kids that were there. And when we came back, a few of us got together and said, hey, why, why do we just wait to do urban ministry when once a year when we go to Nyson? Why, we, we've got a city right here. Why don't we do something here? And, and, and that led through a series of, of events of a group of us getting together and starting a parachurch organization that took on the public church service and the hot breakfast for the homeless in Richmond. There was a continuum of care for the homeless in Richmond, and, and different people took different slots so there would be a hot meal every day. And Sunday, listen to this, Sunday had always been a gap. And you know why Sunday was a gap? Because Christians went to church. It's crazy, isn't it? The group that should have made sure that, that that need was met, it was the day that it was abandoned. And so we said, well, we're, we're going to take that on. And churches got excited and participated. And next thing you know, we were providing a hot breakfast for over 200 homeless people in what was then called Monroe Park every single Sunday morning. Scrambled eggs, seasoned potatoes, bag lunch to go, coffee, lemonade. I mean, it was just a smorgasbord of food that was out there. And, and one of the, the gentlemen that was kind of mentoring us in this, he had done a little bit of this. And, and, and so when we were talking about just our strategy, I was like, hey, I think that we'll have a lot more people stay for the message because we preached on the street if, if, we, if we feed after we do the service. And I'll never forget, he paused for a minute looked at me and he said, Fred, we don't feed them because we want them to listen to us. We feed them because they're hungry. And so for all the years, over 10 years that that ministry was in operation, we fed this massive breakfast and then people that wanted to stay would stay. And then those who didn't, it was okay. And we would preach, and, and I remember preaching there in that park years ago, and, and, and two of the guys that I had really gotten to know, one was, name was Mike and one was Bill, they suffered from just, I mean, brutal alcoholism, brutal alcoholism. And, and, and usually they were inseparable, but sometimes they would go on binges where they would wake up in different parts of the city. They didn't know where they were. They didn't know where each other was, but they had these different places that they could go to to reconnect. And usually it might take a day or two for them to connect. And, and, and after everyone was leaving and we got the cars loaded up and we were getting our head up, Mike pulled me aside and he said, Fred, can we, can we, talk, can, can we talk for a minute? I said, absolutely, Mike. And he said, uh, I said, how's Bill doing? He said, I don't know. That's what I want to talk to you about because I don't know where he is. And it's been days. And I, I've called the police station. I've called the hospitals. I called the morgue. And, and we don't know where he is. So we sat down on this little planter box, this little planter box. 
right there in Monroe Park. I, I remember, too, I said, uh, uh, not this conversation, but they had all had street names for each other. And I said, uh, have you guys given me a street name? And they said, oh, yeah. And I said, what is it? And they said, we call you Soul Snatcher. That's pretty good for a street name, right? I don't know if I'm ever going to get a tattoo, but I think I'm just going to get Soul Snatcher right there on each forehead. So here I am, Soul Snatcher. I said, Mike, let's just pray. Let's just pray for Bill. So I put my hand on his shoulder, and we bowed our heads. You don't, you don't close your eyes when you're doing inner city ministry, right? That's lesson number one. You follow the wisdom of Scripture that says watch and pray. There you go. There you go. Watch and pray. There you go, Chris. So we started praying. We're praying for Bill, and then I, just, I feel faith welling up in my heart. And so I, I, just, I just begin to pray this prayer of faith that, that God's going to reunite them today, that he's not going to have to wait another minute, right? And you can just feel it building. And, and, I, and I glance up at Mike, and he has this look on his face like, like he's seeing something that's not there, right? You know that expression on, on someone's face. And his mouth is, is, is hanging open, and then... And then he began to say words that I can't repeat here in church and, and probably should never repeat, right? They're just the, 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 uh, the eloquence of those string of profanities that were coming from his mouth as I was praying. And then I looked up and about 15 steps away from us, guess who it was? Bill, walking right towards us there in Monroe Park. And he leapt up, tears falling from his face, running to his friend, the embrace that they shared in that moment. Because Jesus loved them. Loved them. He didn't care that they were alcoholics. He didn't care that their life was a wreck. I mean, he cared about those things, but you know what I'm saying. It's not as though God says to you and to me, I'll love you once you get your life together. He's looking for us no matter where we are, no matter how we're living, and no matter what we're doing, he is looking for us because this is what Jesus does for his children. He finds us. Now, I don't know where Mike and Bill are. I had to guess their bodies probably gave out long ago, but I know this, they love Jesus with all of their heart. And if they're not here anymore, they're in heaven. And they're cheering us on. Because they know more than anybody that Jesus finds people. He finds people. And he's looking for you. He's looking for you. Jesus loves you. You matter to him. You matter to him. Every person at some point, they have to look back onto the story of their life and ask themselves the question, can they find a moment where they've made a vow of devotion to Christ? And if you can't find that moment in your journey as you look back into your story, I hope you look over your shoulder because what you're going to find that Jesus is coming to you just like Bill was coming to us as we prayed on that planter box there years ago in Monroe Park. Somebody say loving. There's Jesus, we see him finding Peter and then we see him, we see him loving Peter. Luke chapter 5, 5 through 8, Master Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. And a shout for help 
brought their partners in the other boat. And as soon as both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, listen to what, what he does. He fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. Now, I don't know if you've grown up around church or grown up around these stories and how they get connected. Sometimes people teach them that, that the account here in Luke 5, the, what's called the Lucan narrative, is the same account as in Matthew 4 with just different detail, but I don't believe that's the case. And we've taught on that in great detail here over the years. I'm not going to do that for the sake of time. But I'm of the belief that Luke chapter 5 is several, several months after. And, and, and it's an example of how these early disciples of Jesus, they would travel with him, then they would go back to their vocation and work for a while, then they would travel with him and they would go back to their vocation. And so the Lucan narrative is actually telling us that, that Peter, he's been traveling with Jesus some after we see them following after him in Matthew 4, but this really marks the moment where they have to make a decision, are, are, are they going to follow him and never go back to the work that they used to do? City life is a place where people can feel safe to wrestle with their past. City life is a place where people can feel safe to wrestle with their past. And you might say, well, Fred, it looks to me like Peter's wrestling with his present because he's not saying, I used to be a sinful man. He's saying, I am a sinful man. And what I would say to you is whatever sin you're struggling with today, it's because of something that you struggled with in your past. All of your struggles today, they find their root in something that happened in your yesterdays. And city life is a safe place for you to begin to sort those things out. We just got back from that conference a couple of weeks ago. We we're part of, a, uh, as a church, a part of Elam Fellowship, and the uh, speaker was Danielle Strickland. I didn't know anything about Danielle Strickland. She's been a part of the Salvation Army uh, for most of her adult life in ministry, and and uh, and and she, I mean, she, she, it was incredible stories that she was telling, places that she's been all around the world, things that, that, uh, that she's seen accomplished. And she was telling us this one story about how her and her husband and, her, and their family moved into, I can't even remember what city it was. It was in an urban setting, and they really felt like God was going to begin to use them uh, to minister to, to people that were broken. Right, in, she, had, she was doing that all over the world, but there was some, there was some sense of God was saying, no, I want, I want you to do it in the place that you call home. And, uh, and so they moved into this one inner city neighborhood. You know, it was a crime-ridden neighborhood. The, the most notorious violent drug dealer of the city operated out of their neighborhood on their block. And so she said, you know, I, I didn't really know how I was supposed to reach this guy, and, and, uh, but I knew I was supposed to do something. And she said, so I just started taking him hot chocolate from the, from the, from the, from the local deli once a week. I'd just walk up, give him a hot chocolate, say hello. Didn't try to talk to him about Christ. Didn't try to engage him in a conversation. I just, I just want him to know that I cared. She said she had a friend that was coming into town, and, uh, and, and, and this person was, was prophetic. And, and when they prayed for people, God would, would show them things that they, 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 couldn't, they couldn't know, right? Impossible things, that things of people's past. And, 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 and so she was excited her friend was coming because they were going to go out one evening and just begin to pray for people on the street that they would come across just to see what God might do. And so her friend arrived, right, and, and was all excited and, and, and just put their stuff down. And she said, let's go right now. And, uh, and so Daniel said, all right, let's go. And so they walk out the front door. She looks over and she says, there's one. I can, this is, right, there's one. And right, it's the drug dealer, right? The most notorious, violent guy in the whole city. And Daniel's like, oh dear God, here we go, right? 
So th- this is a true story. Her friend walks over to him and, and says, hey, could I pray for you? And the guy's looking at her like, ah, you know, what are you doing here? And uh, she says, it's free. What do you have to lose? The guy's like, all right. So she puts her hand on this guy's shoulder and she says, I see a child in a closet crying, saying over and over and over, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus. And I see someone standing over them with a belt. Does that sound familiar to you? And this guy, true story, falls to his knees, weeping on that street corner, saying over and over, how do you know that? How do you know that? How do you know that? It's powerful, isn't it? So Danielle said, of course, I took credit for the whole thing because it's just like a pickle jar. When you can't open it, you work on it for a long time and you give it to your friend and they just pop the top. And it was a year's worth of hot chocolates that loosened that guy's heart up so God could minister to him in that moment. See, one of the things that begins to happen to us when Jesus finds us, he begins to love on us. And part of how he loves on us is he begins to deal with the things of our past that are causing us to be who we are in our present that's different from the person that he's called us to be in our tomorrows. And he knows that unless we let him in to begin to minister and to heal those things that are broken inside of us. Whether it was like this guy's story, what was broken inside of him was because he was a victim of someone else's sin. But can we just agree, as I look back into my own story and my own past, sometimes we victimize ourselves with the foolishness of life and the decisions that we make. We find ourselves like Peter on the boat, And we feel unworthy of Jesus' love. This, this year marks for me 20 years of pastoral ministry. 20 years. Not, thank you. I'm not looking for applause there. Just throwing that out. Just so you can know why I don't have any hair anymore. <laughs> I'm sharing that with you because, because you learn a few things as you live a little bit of life. You with me? You learn a few things. And can I just tell you one of the things that I've learned in 20 years of pastoral ministry is that I've not found that people have a hard time believing in God. I just haven't. I haven't. I find that, 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 that most people tend to believe that there's a God. This is what I find that people have a hard time. They have a hard time accepting that God believes in them. That's where they struggle. They're open to the idea that God is real. They're open to the idea that God is love. They just have a hard time believing because they know their past. They know their secrets. They know the things that they hope that no one else will ever find out about. And it's because of those things, they have a hard time accepting that God believes in them. Can I just tell you that's one of the reasons why I believe our church is here in this city is to convince people that God believes in them. And he's got plans for your life, purposes for you, No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter the mistakes that you've made or the mistakes that you are making. 
You might have already felt tonight like Peter, like I need to get out of here because I feel so unworthy of who God is. Well, we all feel unworthy of who God is. Welcome to the beauty of grace. Peter uses the word. When he says, get away from me, I'm a sinful man, he uses an archery term. We've taught about this over the years. It's the word hamartolos in the Greek. It means to miss the mark. That's literally what it means, that you're aiming for something and you miss. Peter's saying, my whole life has missed the mark. Get away from me, Jesus. Don't you love that in that moment, Jesus pulls him closer still? Shame robs people of their future more than anything that I have ever seen. And the church is supposed to be a place that says, you know what? I'm ashamed of my past too, but it does not disqualify us from being used by a loving, forgiving God who heals and restores. He forgives, he commissions, he finds, and he loves Somebody say moving. Matthew 16, 15 to 18. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? We're moving on a couple of years in the timeline of Peter's life with Jesus. He says, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied to him, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. Because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn it from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter. He uses the Greek here, Petros. And upon this rock, now he uses the word Petra. He changes it. English language, we just got one. But Greek, it's a little bit more specific. We're going to talk about why that is. Then he says, upon this rock I will build my church. Listen to what he says about the church. And the powers of hell will not conquer it. City life is a place for dismantling walls that isolate and building communities that invite. City life is a place for dismantling walls that isolate and building communities that invite. There is a reason that Jesus used the language that he did when he was interacting with Peter. Now, we could do a whole sermon series on that statement alone, but let's just pick one part of it. And when he says to him, you're, you're, you're Peter, right, which, which is the word Petros, it means one stone by itself, and, but then when he says, upon this rock I'll build my church, there's lots of ideas about what it means, but, but I'm of the belief, as a lot of people are, that it doesn't mean small rock, big rock. It means one rock by itself, and then Petra can also mean many rocks joined together. Now, I think it means many rocks joined together because the statement that comes after that is Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, right? And so Jesus uses this metaphor to help us to understand his meaning because that's what building is. You begin to join building material together to create something. But it's interesting, the word he uses for church is the word ecclesia, which means the called out ones. Now what he's saying to Peter is, Peter, I'm going to take the rock of your life, I'm going to call you out of the religious institutions that you have been a part of, and I'm going to put you into something new. I'm going to put you into something new, and I'm going to begin to join your life with the lives of other people And this thing is, we're going to call it the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. Because everybody's life is a part of building something. 
but I've created you to build my church so that there will be a place in the world where people can come and discover the idea that Jesus is looking for them. So that there can be a place in the world where people can come and know that, that I love them no matter who they are and what they've done. And, and so that there's a place where people can come and realize that just like I did for you, I want to do for them. I want to take their life out of whatever they've been a part of and put them into this thing. I want to move you out of that and put you in this. And the that that Peter was a part of was religious. He was devout. But he was a part of a religious system that isolated people. He was a part of a religious system that elevated themselves above others. He was a part of a religious system that excluded and demeaned and ignored and wounded and manipulated and neglected others. Now, we know that Jesus died for our sins, but the religious leaders that put him to death, they didn't understand all of that then. Their motivation was simple. They wanted him dead because he was dismantling the religious institution that they were a part of, and they didn't like it. When you begin to think about the disciples and their part in a religious system that wounded and manipulated and hurt and isolated and excluded, we begin to understand their behavior so oftentimes when they were with Jesus that frustrated him. How about the story of the Syrophoenician woman where Jesus is testing their character and the disciples, they're just all bought into the idea of tell this woman who's beneath us because she's not Jewish to go away. She's bothering us. How about all the times where the disciples were irritated by the children, were always trying to shoo them away, and Jesus had to keep coming in and correct them? No, 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 no. You, you don't, no, no. This is for them. You bring them to me. How about the time where, where, where the disciples were leaving a town where, where they weren't accepted and their message wasn't accepted? They're like, hey, Jesus, how about we call fire down from heaven and just burn the whole place up? Hey, Jesus is like, what? Have you not been paying attention to my teaching? Why? Because they were conditioned to a religious system, an organization, an institution that isolated, demeaned, manipulated, excluded. This, was, this is what they knew about life and religion. And Jesus is having to work all of that out of them, to undo it time and time and time again. How about when Jesus was ministering to the woman at the well and the disciples came suspicious, whispering under their breath, he should not be talking to her. Jesus was taking the stone of their life out of what they had given their life to build because he wanted to create something different. I wonder sometimes how often have churches become what Jesus worked so hard to dismantle? Are there times, for me personally, for our church and our past, 
Have we operated in a way that isolates and elevates and excludes and demeans and ignores and wounds and manipulates? How many years have we spent in churches that that's the impact and the effect that they had on people? If that's been us, but let me rephrase that. When that's been us, because it's been all of us at different times in our lives, because of our biases, because of our hurts, because of our wounds, right? God, forgive us. God, forgive us. God, forgive us. Because what Jesus is building is supposed to connect. It's supposed to equalize and include and affirm and attend to it, heal and heal and inspire and to provide. And can we just agree? And it's not just to, supposed to be for people that agree with everything that we believe and look like we look like and live where we live and are the color that we are of the socioeconomic class that we are, right? This is part of what the ecclesia is supposed to be, is to build something that looks like a diversity that the world has never seen. Because in God's eyes, we're all the same. And at some point, he's going to help us see each other that same way. See, this is the hardest part, I think, for us. We like the idea of Jesus looking for us. And I think deep down inside, we like the idea of Jesus loving on us, even when we know he's going to ask us to wrestle with and deal with things that, that are deeply personal. But I think the hardest thing for us is when he tries to move us. When he tries to move us out of our way of thinking about politics, out of our way of thinking about certain socioeconomic classes, when he tries to move us out of our, our, our inherent prejudices that we all suffer from, right? This, this is where it gets hard. When he tries to take the stone of our life out of whatever we've attached ourselves to and to put us in something different, it's hard to be shifted from one place to another. But you have a place. There's a gap in this thing called the church if your life isn't plugged into it. Because one of the reasons why he created you and one of the reasons why he created me is to build this thing called the church. Because at the end of the day, the church has the message of eternal life. And it is supposed to be the well that people know that they can come to and not be judged, not be belittled or demeaned, no matter who they are and what they're struggling with. And there's going to be somebody there that's going to love them and it's going to be the hand and feet of Christ to them. It doesn't mean that we don't have to change, right? That's part of when we're found and then, we're, 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 then, then, then there's loving, but sometimes I think as a, as a church, myself included, we want to get to the loving before we're willing to do the finding. And there's a reason why in Peter's life it happens in the order that it does. And we've got to be gracious with people in the season of finding before we've earned the right to talk with them about the loving. The band's coming back up to lead us in this final song that we're going to sing together in a minute. Every church has three things. They talk about it in different ways, but the way we talk about it here is a message and a moment and a mission. These are three things that define us for as a church. And the message is this. It's just simply heaven now, heaven forever. 
is that we believe that through Christ and Christ alone can eternity be promised to us. But we don't have to wait until after we die to experience what heaven has to offer. Now, we've got to wait until after we die to experience all that heaven has to offer. But we believe that through the teachings of Christ, he wants to give us pieces of it here and now that bring meaning and fulfillment and depth to us even in our darkest hour. Our moment is this. Is it your family from the first hello? Your family from the first hello? Now, when we shared that with the church years ago for the first time, we felt like God gave that to us. Back then, we thought it was just about hospitality. What we didn't realize is the depth to which that statement was going to define us as a church. Because when your family from the first hello you're saying to people that might be really different than you, I'm going to love you like a brother and a sister. And that's not always easy. But that's part of who we are as a church. That as you look around this room every week, you're going to find people in here that from crazy different walks of life. That's a picture of the church because we're family from the first hello. And then our mission is simple. is to build a church that Jesus envisioned to love the world that he died to save. To build the church that Jesus envisioned to love the world that he died to save. If there's any one thing that we want this church to be known for is that we love people well. Is that we love people well. Stand with me. Father. May it be that this church that you're building this church that you're creating, especially in this season that we're in with this property being gifted to us. God, we know that this miraculous provision that you have entrusted to us is because you intend us to use it for you, to do your work. Father, we know that somebody else has done the heavy lifting when it comes to building this structure. But just because the building has been built, what really makes it the church is always under construction. And you're asking us to lay down our lives to build it. Let us be the Petros that's easily moved from whatever we're in into the Petra of your ecclesia, your church, to be a place of living water for our world to find. Christ's name. Come on, let's worship together.